Happy New Year, everybody. Um, I was here last week, but Pastor Dave, um, faithfully, as he always does, uh, was just incredible. I, I don't think he can get any better, and every time he preaches, I think, well, I was wrong. He's getting better. It's just amazing. It's just, I don't, just don't think he can improve. Every time I hear him, then he just gets better and better. So thank you uh, to him. He's on a plane, actually, for work, um, um, so he's not here this morning. He was here last night, but um, just want to thank him for his faithfulness to the Lord, to this church, and then uh, to me as a brother in Christ and as a fellow pastor. He's, he means so much to me. Um, I hope I say this right. If being in the presence of God doesn't just knock you out of your shoes once in a while, something's wrong, right? Something's wrong. There's just times when I just don't, you know, I actually had to relace my shoes before I came up here. I don't know if you saw that, but God knocked me out of my shoes. Just being in his presence, man, is incredible. And I hope you experience that at least once in a while. I think you will this morning for sure. For sure. Um, Last night before, uh, or during worship and before coming up, I just was drawn to something in light of the announcement about sending a team to Honduras. Um, Let me me read something to you out of Mark. We were in Mark before Galatians. Mark 4, verse 21. And Jesus was saying to them, A lamp is not brought to be put under a basket, is it? Or under a bed? Is it not brought to be put on the lampstand? I hope, 2017, that our lamps burn brighter than they've ever burnt before individually and collectively as a church. That's going to be my challenge to you. And that's what we're going to to start to slowly challenge you with as a church, that we would burn brighter than we've ever burned before, that we would indeed do what God's called us to do more faithfully this year than we did last year or ever before. And so we're going to send a team to Honduras so that our lamp burns bright there. And if you're not going to miss a Sunday, don't miss the 4th and 5th of February, the first weekend in February where we're going to reveal what we've been working on for over a year for our missions, our global missions program, and and kind of how that's all going to happen. Be here on that weekend. So we're going to let our our, our lamp burn a little brighter there as well. And then us as pastors, pastoral staff and elders and trustees, we're just going to continue to, you know, nudge and push that our our lamp burns a little bit brighter. You guys all for that? Amen? Mm, Me too. Me too. It is so incredible to be here with you guys. Thank you so much. We are indeed in the book of Galatians. We are in the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter 3, which Dave so faithfully and eloquently went through last week, verses 1 through 9 of chapter 3. And we're going to be in in verses 10 through 18 uh, this morning. Let me, let me open with this. I borrowed parts of this from J. Vernon McGee. Let's take a moment to consider the cities in which we all live. Perhaps you live here in Anaheim Hills or Yorba Linda or Placentia or Corona or the city of Orange or Fullerton or wherever. And regardless of where we reside, is it not true that each and every one of us is subject to these important things that we call laws, L-A-W-S? What about you? What about you and those laws? Do you keep the law? Do you keep the law day and night? Do you keep the law day and night, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week? Some of you are starting to smile. Do you keep the law day and night, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 52 weeks out of the year, year in and year out? Are you a law-abiding citizen like me? Hey, Hey, what's that about? 
If you are, good for you. But keep this clearly in mind. If you have a good day, a good week, or even a good year in being a law-abiding citizen, what reward will you get for your faithful submission to these laws? (laughs) Taxes. That's cute. Suppose, suppose you've been a native of Anaheim Hills for the last 20 years, and you have been faithful to all the laws of this fair city for all 20 of those years. What next? If I were to suggest to you that you go home and wait there, because certainly the officials of Anaheim Hills are going to come and present you with some sort of medal or reward, how likely is this to happen? Cue laughter, right? Let me tell you, it's not going to happen, church. They do not give medals or rewards for keeping the laws of Anaheim Hills or any other city for that matter, as we know. If you kept every law for 20 years and then stole something or broke a speeding law, which I've never done in this state, it's kind of true. I actually have more tickets out of state than I do when I've been in California my whole life. Every time we travel, it seems I get a ticket. But that's another story. I'm preoccupied. I have to drive. I have to navigate. It's a lot of responsibility. Eat my Doritos, I don't know. Anywhere, anyway. If, right, if you kept the law for 20 years and then stole something or broke a speeding law, you would be arrested, regardless of your faithfulness to the laws for the previous 20 years in which you were perfect. Here's the point. The law does not reward you. It's not meant to reward you. The law is meant to penalize and punish you when you break it. You follow? Okay. Let me recap. If you want, turn to Galatians 1. I just kind of want to recap a little bit about where we're at in Galatians 3. So in Galatians 1, verse 1 through 5, Paul gives his introductory greeting. And then he jumps right into it because there's a fight for the truth. There's a false gospel and a true gospel, right? There's, 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 there's light and dark. There's good and evil, right? So there's a, a real gospel, a true gospel, and a false teaching, if you will. And so he says in verse 6, I'm amazed, I'm perplexed that you're so quickly deserting God who called you by the grace of Christ, the true gospel, for a different gospel. And then Paul goes on in the rest of chapter 1 and in the rest of chapter 2, defending, if you will, God's call on his message and God's call on him as an apostle and as a messenger. And it kind of culminates in verse 16 of chapter 2. Read that verse with me. Nevertheless, knowing that a man, you and I, are not justified by the works of the law. There's no reward in keeping the law, because we can't. But through faith in Christ Jesus... That's how we're justified. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ so that we may be justified, have a right standing with God, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Why? Because since by the works of the law, nobody will be justified because we all break the law. All of us do. And so that takes us to chapter 3. And chapter 3 is tough to break up. We did verses 1 through 9 Uh, Last week we're going to do 10 through 18 this week, and next week it's going to be 19 through 29. But it's really one long discourse, and so it's kind of difficult to teach that in segments. But I'm going to do the best I can. So we're going to start at verse 1, because I just kind of think we have to. We're going to read verse 1 through verse 18, and then we'll jump into it after we pray. All right, so turn with me to Galatians 3. We're going to start at verse 1, and we're going to read through verse 18. You guys ready? Happy New Year. It's so good to be with you guys. You foolish Galatians... You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? 
this is the only thing I want to find out from you, Paul writes. Did you receive the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, by the works of the law? The answer is no. This is a rhetorical question. Or by hearing with faith. Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? So then, does he who provides you with the Spirit and work and works miracles among you, did he do that by the law or by hearing with faith? Verse 6, Even so Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. He had belief and faith. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham, who belong to God. The scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, All the nations will be blessed in you if they become believers like you and have faith. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the believer. Verse 10. For as many as are of the works of the law, meaning if anyone and everyone who's under the works of the law, they're under a curse. Mm. For it is written, Cursed is everyone, everyone who does not abide by everything written in that law to perform every one of them. Now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident, we have evidence for the righteous man shall live by faith. However, the law is not of faith. On the contrary, he who practices them shall live by them, which really means will be held accountable by them, which really means will die by them. Verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, in order that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Brethren, I speak in terms of human relations, even though it is only a man's covenant. So he's going to give an example. That even if two men were to get into a covenant, yet when it's been ratified, signed, or confirmed, or agreed to, no one puts it aside, and no one can add conditions to that covenant. Now the promises were spoken to Abraham, this covenant, and to his seed. He does not say to seeds, plural, referring to many, but rather one. And to your seed, he says to Abraham, which is Christ. What he's saying is this, Paul writes, what I'm saying is this, the law, which came 430 years later, does not invalidate a covenant previously ratified by God so as to nullify that promise. For if the inheritance is based on law, it is no longer based on a promise. But God granted it to Abraham by means of a promise. Let's pray. God, we thank you for these words of Galatians. Lord, may you mold us and shape us into the image of your Son. Lord, have your way with us this morning. God, we pray that the Rock Community Church and everybody that makes up this church, that our lamps will shine brighter in 2017 than they did last year. Fill us with the power of your Holy Spirit to do your work, Lord. It's in your name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. So, these 60 verses of Galatians that make up Galatians chapter 3 and Galatians chapter 4 are some of the strongest words that Paul has ever written. Paul is no amateur when it comes to having a debate. I would not want to get into an argument with Paul. He would just tear me up. And so he certainly proves his abilities here in Galatians 3 and 4. His logic is irrefutable. Paul was in a battle to prove that salvation is by grace alone, which means the work done in the flesh by Jesus Christ, put in our faith in the work done in the flesh by Jesus and not by the works of the law, which is works done in our own flesh by us. 
So, having said that, if Christ, or better, because Christ is indeed totally sufficient for our salvation, is he not also totally sufficient for everything else? I think one of the things that sometimes the church falls short of is that we totally put our faith and our trust in Christ for salvation, and then we kind of don't tap into him and look, you know, look to the Lord for everything else. If he can cover our salvation, he, he's there for all things of our walk with him. And I'm just so grateful for that. Here's our outline for this morning. First five verses, 10 through 14, is that Christ redeemed us. Christ redeemed us. And we're going to spend the bulk of our, our time in those five verses. The reason that Christ redeemed us is because God promised us he would. And those are the last four verses. So those are the two stanzas um, in our text for this morning. So let's pull the lens back a little bit, okay? We're going to pull the lens back because I said chapter 3 kind of all fits together. So I want us to look at some things in verses 1 through 14, okay? Verses 1 through 14. Check out Galatians verses, uh, Galatians 3, verses 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5. Focus on verse 1. How does that end? It ends with a what? Verse 1. A question mark. How does verse 2 end? With a question mark. How does verse 3 end? There's two of them. Are you so foolish? Question mark. And then it ends with another question mark. That's four. How does verse four end? With a question mark. How does verse five end? Yeah, that's right. So how many was that? Six. Five verses, six different questions that Paul asks the Galatians. These questions, listen, these questions literally pertain to matters of life and death. If that's of interest to you, please pay attention. These questions that are asked in verses 1 through 5 literally pertain to matters of life and death. It's the reason why Paul uses such strong language. That's why you see things like, verse 1, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Wow. Verse 3, are you so foolish? And verse 7, therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. Strong, strong language because it pertains to matters of life and death. Let's quickly take a look at verses 2, 3, and 5. And what I want you to do, we're going to read 2, we're going to read 3, we're going to read 5. What I want you to do is make some connections. I'll explain in a second. We're going to have two different camps that we're going to create. See if you can help me create this camp and then the opposite camp, right? Let's read verse 2 of Galatians 3. This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the, I'm helping you here, spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, verse 3, having begun by the spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Verse 5. So then, does he who provides you with the spirit and work miracles among you do it by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Okay. I, I kind of helped, you know, I kind of cheated for you guys there, right? So what's one side? What's one camp? Spirit. And what goes with that? Faith. That's, that's this camp over here, right? Spirit and faith. What's the other camp? Law. What goes with law? Flesh. Right? Spirit and faith. Law and flesh. Check out verse 12, the first half of verse 12. However, the law is not of faith. On the contrary. They're contrary to one another. The law is not of the faith. 
right? So you've got the, the, law, the faith camp and you have the law camp. And so notice what Paul does then in, in addressing these six questions in verses 1 through 5. Paul turns them from their subjective experience of verses 1 through 5. He turns them from their subjective experience to the objective evidence of God's word is what he does in the following verses 6 through 14. Check this out. Look at verse 6. Do you see there how, do you see all those words that are in capitals? That's referencing the law. That's referencing Old Testament scripture. So you see in verse 6 he references scripture, right? The evidence of God's word. Look also in verse 8. Do you have some words there at the end that are in all caps? He's referencing scripture. Look at verse 10. Do you see the words there in all caps? Look at 11. Look at 12. And look at 13. Okay. We're going to kind of get you guys caught up here. How many questions were there in, in verses 1 through 5? There were six. How many quotes did we just mention? Six. Six questions about things pertaining to life and death, and Paul six times goes to the Word of God. That's right. Six questions with six answers from God's Word. What we need to know is we must never judge the Scriptures by our experience. We must test our experience by the Scriptures, by the Word of God. Can I get an amen? Paul asked six questions and provided six truths to prove that salvation is by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. The Judaizers wanted to take believers back into the law, and so Paul brilliantly quotes the law to show them that even the law points to righteousness by faith. It's brilliant. These six questions, listen to this, these six questions and the six answers reveal this. Hear this. When it comes to our salvation, the Lord has an answer for every question we have. Everyone. The Lord is both loving and just. He's both loving and just. And so to me it makes perfect sense that he makes these truths of all the questions that we could have in matters pertaining to life and death that he would make these truths known to us. Does that warrant an amen? Thank you. Take notice of this as well. Look at verse 14. He says in verse 14, in order that, as he closes this section, when you see things like in order that, or so that, or therefore, those are hinge words or hinge statements. That's saying, in light of all that we just said, pay attention. So in order that, in Christ, the blessing of Abraham might come to you and I, the Gentiles, so that we would receive the Holy Spirit. How? Through faith. Pretty cool. So the Holy Spirit is what's promised to us based on our faith. So I think it's important that we have a few things to say about the Holy Spirit. Check this out. 2 Corinthians 1, verses 21 and 22. Now He, God, who establishes us with you, we're established one another in the body of Christ, so established with you in Christ and anointed us is God, who also sealed us. He puts His stamp on you, His seal on you. He sealed us and gave us the Holy Spirit in our hearts as a pledge. When I meet with people, I've met with two people in the last month talking to them about the Lord. Two men. And it's just a question that I ask, you know, what is the assurance of your salvation? To see where they're at, if they, if they know. God sends us His Holy Spirit so that we would know that we belong to Him. Check out Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. Another great verse. In Him, 
you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who was given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. Check out Ephesians 4, verse 30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Check out Romans 8, 16. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we belong to him. Check out Romans 9, 8. That is, Paul writes, it is not the children of the flesh who are children of God, but the children of the promise, the children of faith, the children of the Spirit of God are regarded as his descendants. And so as a result, Paul is saying that we can know that we belong to him because the Holy Spirit lives within us. And therefore, he writes later in Galatians chapter 5 about what that looks like. Turn to Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 16. I'm going to plow through this really quick because we're going to obviously get to this later. Galatians 5, verse 16, where he says, But I say... Walk then by the Spirit, and you won't carry out the desire of the flesh. Those are the two camps, right? For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in, and that word opposition is really too kind. They hate each other. For these are in enmity. They're in opposition to one another, so that you do not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And then in the next three verses, he talks about the deeds of the flesh. Right? This is what's going to happen. The deeds of the flesh are evident. Immorality, impurity, sensuality, and on and on. And then conversely, on verse 22, he says, but these are the deeds of the Spirit. So we know that we have God's approval because the Spirit lives inside us, and then we should start seeing things like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control so that we know that we indeed belong to Him and there's fruit of His Spirit living inside of our lives. It's incredible. It's just perfectly laid out. So, our first stanza, Christ redeemed us, verses 10 through 14 in Galatians 3. Let's read those. Verses 10 through 14 in Galatians 3. Pay attention to this language. For as many, which means everyone, as are of the law, of the works of the law, they're under a curse. If you're going to try to do it on your own, you can't. You're under a curse because it's written. Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform all of them. Now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident, for the righteous man must, shall live by faith. However, the law is not of faith. On the contrary, he who practices them shall be held accountable by them or live by them. But Christ, oh my goodness, Christ redeemed us from a curse. He redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. As it's written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, in order that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham would come to us through the promised Holy Spirit. Church, here's what you need to hear. You need to hear this. And if the Lord ever gives you an opportunity, you'll need to share this. Sin brings a curse. Sin brings a curse and somebody has to pay. Sin brings a curse somebody has to pay. Years ago, there was a movie called National Treasure with Nicolas Cage, and I think Harvey Keitel was the cop. And I don't know if, it was just one of my favorite lines where he's like, somebody's got to go to jail. Like, he kept saying that through the movie. Like, once we figure out who's done something wrong, so, somebody's, somebody's got to go to jail, right? Sin brings a curse. 
and someone has to pay. Sin brings a curse. Someone has to pay. Check this out. In these five verses, Galatians 3, 10 through 14, the word curse is used five times. Five times the word curse is used. And the Greek meaning is to be under divine condemnation, to be under God's condemnation, deserving of negative consequences and judgment. Who wants that? Not I. In these five verses, the word law is used, guess how many times? Five would be a good guess. He uses the word curse five times and uses the word law five times. And as we already learned from Galatians 3, verse 3, law and flesh go together, right? So if you're uh, working in the flesh, you're working the law, you're under a curse if you're not putting your faith in the grace of our Lord through Jesus Christ. Also in these five verses, 10 through 14, but on the opposite side of the equation, which we've already discussed, so we have law or flesh, is the word faith. Also in these five verses. The word faith is used in verse 11, verse 12, and verse 14. It's used three times. Three times. And of course, like law curse being five times each, there are three corresponding words with faith. In verse 11, you see the word justified, you see the word righteous, and in verse 14, you see the word blessing. So you've got curse, law, flesh. Then you've got spirit, faith, justified, righteous, blessing. In other words, there's no amount of work that can be accomplished in our flesh because the law demands perfection, and therefore, without Jesus Christ, we are what? Cursed. Let me say that again. There's no amount of work that can be accomplished in our flesh because the law demands perfection, therefore we are cursed. Look at what verse 10 says. For as many, that means everyone, everyone and anyone that is under the work, you know, that are of the works of the law are under a curse. That's what it says. Because it says here, cursed is everyone who does not abide by everything written in the book of the law. Raise your hand if you've obeyed everything written in the book of the law. Raise your hand if you even know what's in the book of the law. We're going to unpack that a little bit. It's crazy. Look at verse 11. Now that no one, who? No one is justified by the law is evident. Strong language. Verse 12. However, the law is not of the faith. On the contrary, he who practices the law shall or will live by them or essentially die by them. Check this out. Check out James uh, chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. Now this is, we're taking this out of a context that's a bigger context. We just don't have time. Just give you an idea. Look what he writes. He says, but if you show partiality, you're committing sin and you're convicted by the law as a transgressor for whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in any point has become guilty of all. I'm going to guess I'm not the only person in my lifetime that's shown partiality. If you've shown partiality, you are now guilty of God's law, and you are under what? A curse. Strong. Let me, let me, let me, uh, I'm going to pick on, uh, I'm to pick on you or your husband. Pick on your husband? All right. So let's say Lisa, let's say Lisa. <laughs> that's, that's, is that all right? All right. Let's check this out. Let's say in her lifetime, She's committed 2,000 infractions or sins or fallen short in 2,000 ways, and I've fallen short in two. 
Two. All two. It's really not many more than two, to be honest with you. Your number's probably pretty accurate from what Dave tells me, but it's actually probably more like your number. 2,000 infractions, and I've got two. Who's under the curse? What? You guys are such good listeners. Now we put our faith in Jesus Christ, who takes that curse upon himself. Who now stands righteous before God, more righteous? Don't I, because I've only committed two? She committed 2,000. Who stands more righteous before God? Neither of us. Both of us, however you want to say it. That is huge for us to understand, church. And let me tell you why. Because she's just as ugly as I am under the curse, and she's just as beautiful as I am when she puts her trust in Christ. And sometimes in the church, we kind of get that all jacked up, right? Because we compare with one another, and we don't compare our lives to Christ. We forget the fact that we were under the curse, and now we're saved. And we do all this you know, comparing stuff, and we like to compare ourselves with other people. Oh, God, help us. Thank you, Lisa. You know, it's kind of weird. I have this. I'm going to give you one of my Hershey bars. You you get nothing. Because you are going like that. Half? I'm such a troublemaker. I'm sorry. All right. Got to get serious again. Anyway, as mentioned, sin brings a curse and somebody has to what? Pay. Somebody has to pay. Check this out in verse 13. Wow, if this doesn't move you, I don't know what will. Verse 13 of Galatians 3. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. Let me explain that this way. I'll pick on somebody different. Actually, I'm not going to pick on anybody. I'll pick on myself. Have you guys ever gone out to dinner and then you go to pay the bill and somebody completely unknown to you says, let me get that for you. Seriously? That happens to me all the time. No, seriously. I'm totally being serious. You guys have never gone out to eat and you go to pay the bill and somebody just says, let me get that for you? It's never happened to me either. <laughs> never, right? But if it did, you go to pay your bill, you know, I, I, got, I, just, I need to edit so you go to pay your bill and somebody says, let me get that for you. How cool would that be? Like that would be shocking if somebody said, let me get that for you. Let me get that for you. Would you guys appreciate that? Verse 13, you're under a curse and Jesus rolls up and says, what does he say? I got that for you. Let me get that for you. Church, we're under a curse without Jesus Christ. And he rolls up when we've got to pay our debt and he says, let me get that for you. I hope somebody pays for your meal this week. I might just follow some of you around and just say, let me, let me get that for you. Just to make my point. That's a good idea. Yeah. Isn't that cool? Jesus says, let me get that for you. Check this out. Let me read the rest of 13. Right? Having become a curse for us because it's written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Hmm, interesting language. You see, church, the Jews did not, they didn't crucify their criminals. What did they do? They stoned them. That's how they crucified their, or that's how they killed their criminals. They stoned them to death. But, in cases of shameful violation of the law, 
after they stoned him to death, they would hang the body until sunset as a public display for all to see that they were cursed by God. The most shameful of sins. And so Christ was publicly displayed because our sin is despicable to a holy God. And so God hung him on the cross. That's what it means that cursed is everyone. who He took that curse from us. Because he said, let me get that for you. Let me get that for you. It blows my mind, man. It just blows my mind. Check out Hebrews 9, verse 22. It says, Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Somebody's got to pay. Sin brings a curse. Somebody has to pay. So as we have established, there's two camps. The camp of the law and the camp of faith. And from either camp camp of the law or the camp of faith, payment is going to be made for sin. Whatever camp you're in. If we live by the law, our works and our flesh, then we are cursed and we're the ones that are going to pay. If we live by faith, His works and His flesh, then He's cursed and we are redeemed. Somebody's going to pay. What does it mean to be redeemed? Does anybody know? It means to purchase a slave for the purpose of setting him free. What are we slaves to? Sin. So God pays a price. He says, let me get that for you. And he sets us free. Christ purchased us that you and I would be free. Look at 1 Corinthians 7.23. You and I were bought with a price when he said, I will become a curse for you. Let me get that for you. Do not become slaves of men. Do not become slaves of law. The law will only bring punishment. So, it begs the question, why the temptation? How could these false teachers convince the Galatians that the law was better than grace? It kind of begs that question, I think. Perhaps part of the answer is found in the word from verse 1 when it says, who has bewitched you? It means to fascinate or to deceive. What is there about legalism or about about works that fascinates us to turn from grace to the law. For one thing, it appeals to our flesh, believe it or not. You probably do. The flesh loves to be religious, to obey laws, to observe holy occasions, to worship, and there's certainly nothing wrong with many religious rituals, but the flesh, when they do that, the flesh loves to boast about its achievements. Some of us are nodding our heads. Turn to Luke 18, a little to your left. Matthew, Mark, Luke. Look at Luke 18. What a great example for us to read. Luke 18, 9 through 14. Really a sad story that depicts our temptation as well. It's a parable about the Pharisee and the publican. Verse 9 of Luke 18. Jesus told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt, with partiality, if you will. And here's the parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee who's supposed to be the religious elite who are supposed to be setting the example, and the other was a despicable tax collector, somebody like Lisa Rondau, just kidding. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself. He says, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, and even like 
this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. And then the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. I tell you, this man went to his house justified, saved, clothed in righteousness rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be cursed or humbled, but he who humbles himself and puts the curse upon Christ will be exalted. Isn't that incredible? Wow, what a great parable. Look at Philippians 3, verses 2 and 3. Where Paul writes to the churches at Philippi, he says, Beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of the false circumcision, people who aren't of the faith. For we are the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ and put zero confidence in the flesh. Our flesh is under a curse, church. Somebody's going to pay. Another fascination with legalism is that it appeals to the senses. Instead of worshiping God by faith, the legalist invents his own system to satisfy his own senses. And in doing so, it allows him to measure and compare himself with who? With other people. Instead of comparing himself or herself to who? To Christ. That's exactly right. We are to measure ourselves with Christ. Turn just a smidge over from Galatians 3 to Ephesians 4, verses 11 through 13. Look at Ephesians 4, 11 through 13. What a great picture of the church. Ephesians 4, 11, 12, and 13, about measuring ourselves with Christ as a church. And so He, the Lord, gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers. Why? To equip the body of Christ for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the to the building up of the body of Christ, as we saw with the missions team in the Honduras, and do this and do that so that we can spread the gospel and build buildings in Honduras, right? Verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man. What's a mature man? The measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. That's the measure. We are mature when we are to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. That's why we're tempted. We compare ourselves. We like to compare ourselves with other people. And that's why we get into legalism and into the flesh and into works. But we are cursed if we do. And lastly, as I wrap up this last stanza uh, stanza 2, God promised us. Look at verses uh, 15 through 18 in Galatians chapter 3. Back to Galatians 3, 15 through 18. Brethren, I speak in terms of human... He's given an example of, of just what would happen even in, in, in the flesh, in, in the human world, in human relations, even though it's only a man's covenant. When, when a covenant's been agreed to, no one sets it aside. You can't add conditions to it. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. And he does not say into seeds, but to seed, referring to Christ. And what he's saying is this, that the law, which came hundreds of years later, it doesn't invalidate that covenant that God ratified with Abraham so as to nullify it. For if the inheritance is based on law, then it is no longer based on a promise. But God has granted it to Abraham by means of a promise and to us through Christ in that same covenant. The word promise in these four verses is used six times. It refers to God's promise to Abraham that in him all the nations of the earth would be blessed, being justified by faith, starting with Abraham and revealed in Christ. Look at verse 16. Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed, which is Christ. I can't put it any better than John MacArthur does. He says this. 
When Christ shed his blood, it covered sins on both sides of the cross. The Old Testament, Abraham goes to the cross, and the New Testament comes from the cross. On the one hand, faith pointed forward, whereas on the other, it points back. And that's what verse 16 is talking about. The promise to Abraham was given around 2000 B.C., and the promise came hundreds of years before the law of Moses. Once two parties conclude an agreement, a third party cannot come along later and change that agreement. To add anything to it or from it would be illegal. And so try as we may, and try as many of us have, I suppose, to alter the perfect plan, the perfect promise, the perfect covenant of the Lord. We cannot do it. We cannot alter God's perfect plan that we are saved by faith. We are saved by His grace through Jesus Christ because sin brings a curse and somebody has to pay. Faith has always been the God-required response that brings salvation. Faith has always been the God-required response that brings salvation. The saints of the Old Testament were saved by faith just as the saints of the New Testament were and are. Amen? So, look at verse 19 of Galatians chapter 3. It makes you wonder those four words with the question mark. Right? What does verse 19 say, the first four words? Why the law then? Isn't that a great question? Show up next week. That's what they call a cliffhanger in the business. Is that what they, how they say it? I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm going to invite the worship team up and... Um, we're going to pray our, ourselves out of here. Then the worship team's going to do a song for us. And Happy New Year to you guys. We are going to shine brighter this year than we ever have before. That's my hope and prayer for, for us. Um, let's pray. Lord, we, we love you. And we recognize that um, you took that curse upon you. And you said, let, let, me, let, me, let me get that for you. Lord, I pray that we continue to understand that and that it would move us and shape us like never before. Lord, I pray that our lamp does indeed shine brighter in 2017 than it did in 2016. We love you. We thank you for the grace poured out on us because of what your son did on that tree, on that cross. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, and everyone said,